Greetings, kind readers, and welcome to episode three of Let Me Tell You a Story. So, a funny thing happened after the last episode. I got stuck in my story. There was, as most writers can attest, a moment of panic and then a period of uncertainty. Oh no, I've started the podcast. Oh no, I'm not sure how to finish my story. And so I pondered for a while and struggled for longer than I expected to come up with an ending that was fit for the journey of Peppy and Petrina. But the book is complete, printed, and ready to ship. Having actually finished it, we now resume with our normally scheduled podcast. Tonight, I'll be reading the second scene from chapter one. Before we get to that, a little background. One of the challenges in researching Unchosen uh, was figuring out how to paint a complete or at least consistent portrait of a Hitler youth. Initiated in the mid-1930s, the organization went through several transformations, both large and small, until becoming the sole surviving youth organization by 1942, with compulsory membership for all children at age 10. The best summary of what the Hitler Youth was all about, I have found, is a description found in a book produced by the G2 Counterintelligence Subdivision of Schaaf Headquarters under Eisenhower. In part, it reads... The Hitler Youth is not a Boy Scout or Girl Guide organization. It is in no respect comparable to any organization for young people known to the Western world. It is a compulsory Nazi formation, which has consciously sought to breed hate, treachery, and cruelty into the mind and soul of every German child. It is, in the true sense of the word, education for death. Now, this pretty much encapsulates the nature and intent of the Hitler Jugend. Even so, I imagine that the transformation was a case of disciplined indoctrination that took some time to overcome the influence of the home on its young enlistees. And it is the struggle between the state and the hearth that confronts our young Peppy. Peppy walked along the railroad tracks just outside the field outside the village. Even though he was wearing the black shorts and brown shirt of his uniform, reminding him that he wasn't a little boy anymore, he still liked the feel of wildflowers brushing against his legs as he walked away from the tracks and through the open field towards his house. He imagined the petals looking up into the sky, not knowing what they saw there. The air was vaguely cool with the last breath of winter receding before the tide of spring, and his mind turned to the snows that would return in six months' time and what it would be like to tromp through them wearing the same uniform, his bare legs encased in the icy drifts that would hide the flowers so they no longer watched the sky. Would he be strong enough to stand it? Would he? It was an odd thought that would never have occurred to him just a year before. But he was ten now, and a new member of the Deutsches Jungvolk. That meant that he had to grow up and join the legions that would protect the fatherland. Little boy no more, he would have to stand that icy cold and prove that he was just as strong as the other boys. And so he closed his eyes and imagined the snow scraping along his legs, cold at first, then stinging and sharp and finally numb. Still, in his mind, he would walk on, never faltering, never allowing any of them to see the pain in his expression. When he reached the house, he strode stiffly up the porch steps with purpose. Just a year before, he had scampered up those steps after a day of frolicking in the fields or chasing rabbits like the ones he and his mother kept in the backyard. 
but it had been five months since he had taken his oath, so no longer did he scamper or chase rabbits. He flung the door open and stepped into the modest but immaculate interior of the house his mother cleaned every day. The wooden floor, though scuffed and worn, shone from the daily polish she applied. The furniture, also old and worn, was otherwise clean and polished. A family portrait hung proudly over the mantel in an austere frame. Peppy gazed at the fireplace, the grate empty, and the ashes cleaned away. Later that night he would bring in firewood, and his mother would set the fire. On some nights, when the fire burned low, his mother would tell Peppy stories about his father, who had frozen to death, his hand still gripping the trigger of his MG-42 as he guarded his squad's line against the approaching infantry of General Vlasov's army in the waning days of Operation Barbarossa. A single vase with flowers from the field he had just walked through adorned a cherry wood end table next to the dull green couch facing the fireplace. The end table was the one good piece of furniture in the house, and his mother tended to it as a shrine to a life that she would never know again. Standing in front of the fireplace with her hands folded in front of her, Peppy's mother was a diminutive woman wearing a modest house dress. She had short blonde hair, blue eyes, and a slender nose. He hadn't thought of how his mother looked in those exact terms, but now he understood that she, like him, was properly Aryan, one of the first things he had learned since swearing into the ranks of the DJ that January. Since then, he had also learned that you could tell this sort of thing just by looking at somebody. He noticed something else, and he didn't know if it was because he was becoming more astute or if he simply hadn't noticed before. She looked tired. Her gaze followed his hand as he set down his new copy of Will and Mocked on the end table. Go upstairs and change your clothes, she said. Again. She said this every day when he got home from school, and he was beginning to realize that he was proper to feel annoyed by this. He fondled the blank epaulet on his shoulder, wishing it held the simple black insignia of a Hitlerjunge, the lowest rank in the Hitlerjugend. He wouldn't achieve that rank until he was 14, and he didn't know how he would endure the four long years it would take to get there. Why should I? he asked, still thumbing the bare epaulets. His mother narrowed her eyes, trying to intimidate him in a way that didn't work as well as it once did. At school you may be an aspiring Hitlerjunge, she said. But in this home you are still just Peppy, and I am your mother, and I said go change your clothes. He eyed her for a moment and then slowly lowered his hand, a gesture offering a concession that was his to give, not a resignation that was hers to demand. And yet a tick of fear rose up inside him. Defying his mother wasn't something he was used to. He wasn't quite ready to be somebody other than her only little boy. Not yet. When Peppy came down for dinner, he noticed the magazine he had left on the end table was gone. He wanted to say something, but the familiar glow of being home fell over him as he passed the fireplace, already crackling with sparks twirling up the chimney to fight off the darkening cold outside. The smell of sauerkraut, potatoes, and rabbit wafted in from the small dining area next to the kitchen. His mother gently poured water from a pitcher into his glass as he sat down. The water from their well was crisp and sweet. There was nothing like it anywhere else, and as he took a long drink, the feeling of home flowed through him like an elixir. She sat down across from him, her face gently lit by flickering waves of yellow from the candles on the table as she poured herself a glass of wine. He bowed his head as she whispered a gentle prayer. 
When she was done, she looked at him with soft eyes that no longer looked tired, and smiled. That's better, she said. He knew that she meant it was better now that he had changed out of his uniform and, at least for the moment, was just peppy, having dinner with his mother on a cool evening in late May. He took another drink of the crisp well water, not wanting to disturb the quiet solace that was his mother's dinner table. But something he had learned in the DJ session that afternoon tickled the back of his mind, and then it barked, faintly urging him on, and he understood for the first time what it meant to do one's duty, even when it wasn't what he really wanted. As his mother took her first bite of stewed rabbit, he asked, Mama. He folded his hands on the table. He hadn't yet started to eat, and she eyed him carefully as she laid her own silverware back down. She took a sip of wine. Yes, puppy, what is it? Why am I the only one? he asked. The question wasn't entirely out of place in the warm embrace of home, totally detached from the lecture his Fraunleinfuhrer had belted out while stomping around the barracks about the duty of all German women to produce offspring for the Reich. Peppy had always longed for a little brother, or even a sister, somebody to grow up with, somebody to scamper away from his mother with and hide in the woods with, somebody to blame for spilt milk and help with the chores, to share the flowers that stared into the sky, not knowing what they saw. Somebody like him. What do you mean? she asked. I mean, he stopped to make sure that he was speaking softly. This was his question, and it didn't feel quite right to have the fawn line of Hura's voice barking from the back of his mind to push him into asking it. No, he just wanted to be peppy, a little boy asking his mother a question he longed to know the answer to. Why don't I have a brother or sister? She took another sip of wine and set the glass down carefully. She leaned forward and studied him with an intensity he hadn't seen in her eyes before. How long have you wanted to ask that? I've always wondered. All the other boys have a brother or sister, and I, I just wondered why I don't. Her smile faded, and she looked away as if to remember something that she wasn't ready to explain. She sucked in a short breath. Is it really you asking, or the stem, Fuhrer? Fahnleinfuhrer, Mama. What? The Fahnleinfuhrer gives our lectures, not the Stamfuhrer. Remember the ranks I showed you? A quizzical look ran across her face, and then she winced. You mean Janik? Yes, Fahnleinfuhrer Diefenbach. She nodded slightly. Of course, she said. He would have to tell you these things. He wouldn't have a choice. She looked back into his eyes. But your question, Peppy, is it you asking, or them. He hadn't meant it that way, but the way she asked him unleashed the Fraunleinfuhrer's barking voice that now filled his mind. I didn't mean it that way, Mama. He studied her, wondering for the first time if she didn't understand her own duty, something he was only just learning to understand himself. But I am learning about Lebensborn. Don't you know about it? She took in a deep breath picked up her plate and set it down loudly, the silverware hopping off her plate and clattering on the table. She glared at him the same way as when he stole cookies for the neighborhood boys were tramped mud on her freshly polished floor. Her voice was steady as ice. I know what Lebensborn is. She spat the word out as if it were a forbidden curse. Harlots who go off to camp to conceive fatherless children. They don't even have the decency to teach my own little boy to just lecture me about kinder, kutch, and kirch. 
Well, yes, he said brightly, delighted that he could talk to her about what he was learning in the ranks of the DJ. Even though she was upset, he hoped she would explain to him why he was the only one. He was old enough to understand, even if she didn't think so. Instead, she huffed, stood up, and picked up her plate. As she walked back to the kitchen, he asked, Aren't you going to eat? Her back was to him, and he couldn't see her struggling to hold back the tears welling up in her eyes. She set the plate in the sink and leaned against it for a moment, bowing her head. Peppy looked down at his own meal and realized he was no longer hungry either. He grabbed his glass of water and took a long drink, hoping the sweetness would drown out the confusion numbing his mind. He was just trying to be a good German boy. Once again, that didn't seem to make his mother happy. He still didn't understand why, and now all he could hear was the admonition that the Fahnleinfuhrer had given Peppy and the other boys at the end of every meeting. Your mother may not understand these things. Your father may not understand these things. In time, you will teach them as well. But for now, just make sure you understand them yourself. He didn't understand how important those words were until just then. He tried to take another drink, but the glass was empty. His mother turned around and threw her head back, her eyes fluttering as she looked up towards the ceiling. Come here, Peppy, she said. He slid out of his chair and walked to her carefully, focusing on her eyes glistening in the candlelight. She crouched down in front of him the way she did whenever she was going to say something important, something he knew he had to understand and remember. When the mayor had sent for his father to join the army, she had crouched down to talk to him. When he had found her sitting on the couch months later, crying as she held a telegram in her hand, she had crouched down to talk to him and explain why Papa wasn't ever coming home again. She put her hand on his shoulder and said, You must listen to me now, Peppy. He nodded. Yes, Mama? I would die for you, Peppy. Did you know that? He blinked, because he did not know that. His father had died for the Reich, and in a way he didn't quite understand yet for him and his mother. Surprised by her declaration, his mind offered up an uninvited image of what his life would be like without his mother. The house, dark and unclean. The table, empty, without the steam wafting from a home-cooked meal, and his mother smiling at him in the candlelight. The fireplace, a small cavern of ashes that would never glow again. He thought of the empty house without her and felt the wetness building up behind his eyes. He fought it back because he was too old for that kind of sentimentality now. No, Mama, you can't die. Oh, but Peppy, I would. She held him at arm's length and looked straight into his eyes. For you, I would lay down in the street and let them trample me to death if it meant I could save you. His lip quivered as he tried to steady himself. She shook him by the shoulders and said, Now listen to me. He sniffled. Yes, Mama. She didn't smile. Her eyes were hard in the flickering candlelight as she stared into his. I know some of what they teach you in the Deutsches Jungvolk, and I know that they tell you to watch me. She nodded grimly. I know what happened to Anna and her husband, and I know that it could happen to me. He hadn't known this, that she already knew what could happen, even before he himself understood what that really meant, before he had even thought of an empty house. He heard the Fahnleinfuhrer barking in his mind, and his hands started to tremble as confusion overwhelmed him. 
A sudden urge to protect her welled up, and he latched on to the words that came tumbling out of him. No, Mama, I would never let them take you. He wrapped his arms around her and buried his face in her soft neck, the same as when she had told him what had happened to his father. She pushed him away, forcing him to stand and look at her. I know you feel that way now, Peppy, but you must come to a place where you believe that, even when you were quiet, even when you were not at home, and especially when you were at your weekly meetings with the Deutsches Jungvolk. He didn't understand why a simple question about why he was her only son had boiled into a storm where he lived alone and his mother was trampled in the street. He looked around the room, trying to understand why. Then, looking back at her, he noticed the creases at the corners of her eyes deepening and her mouth whitening as her jaw tightened. She was scared. That was not in any of the Fonline Fuhrer's lectures. Understand, follow, teach. These things he understood. But scaring his mother was the furthest thing from his mind, and in no world could he ever imagine allowing anybody to take her from him. Nor did his oath call on him to allow such a thing to happen. I will never let them take you, Mama, I promise. And he meant it, too. He didn't dare realize just how hard it would be when he remembered the Fonline Fuhrer's telling him how somebody like his mother was a traitor to her people because she dared to tell her own son what she said next. Oh, Peppy, I know you believe that now. She stared hard at him, letting the words sink in as he fought back from the verge of crying. She seemed disappointed that he didn't actually let the tears come so she could gently blow them away until only the soft tracks of salt were left on his cheeks. But if you really mean that, then you must be strong. I am going to tell you the most important thing you must always remember. Are you ready? Yes, Mama. What I want you to do, Peppy, is think. I know that you must always talk correctly, but you must always think rightly. Do you know the difference? He blinked, his mind stopping, because he couldn't truly understand what she was trying to tell him. Isn't that what they're teaching me? His mother bowed her head and for a moment looked as if she were going to be sick. All they have said you do not understand. You must think harder, Peppy. I... He just shook his head, not knowing what to say. For now, all you have to remember is what I have taught you. Do you still remember? Can you tell me anything I have taught you? He thought back to a time when he was still just a little boy, a time before he was an aspire Hitler younger, thinking of what it meant to stride through cold snow to prove he could take it. He was surprised at how long ago that seemed. Different words, from a different world, that the Fonline Fuhrer was telling him to let fade and wither. Words that, when he thought of them, were like crisp, sweet well water. He spoke softly. Be kind to your neighbor. Keep clean in house, body, and mind. Tend to the rabbits, that they will tend to you. Always keep fresh firewood, for you never know when the night will be cold. Remember that everyone stumbles, and to forgive them when they do, just as they forgive me. Help somebody once every day, and let pride allow them to help you back. The words flowed through him, a herald calling out from the recesses of a part of his mind he had forgotten. Live well the moment and let God run the universe. A shy smile crept onto his face. That was his favorite among his mother's dollops of wisdom, and he hadn't thought of it for months now. 
Then he said something that made her eyes soften, and he could see the pride that only a mother can know for her son wash over her face. Stand on your own, even if it means standing alone. But he knew this was particularly contrary to what he was being taught by his Fuhrer. No man stood alone, ever. He followed, he obeyed, and if he was loyal enough and strong enough, he led. That's good, Peppy. Remember those things. Always. She pulled him back to her, wrapped her arms around him, and kissed the top of his head. The Fuhrer and his mother stood across from each other in a room in his mind. The Fuhrer barking about the impending rise of the great German nation until his blood boiled with pride. His mother's words flowing through him like cool well water that cherished life. And in the middle, he stood between them, lost as the flowers looking to the sky, not knowing what they saw. All he could think of to say was, I don't want you to die, Mama. I know, Peppy. I know. You have been listening to Episode 3 of Let Me Tell You a Story. Copyright 2020, Michael J. Lawrence, all rights reserved. And a shout out to Per Kilstoft over at MachinimaSound.com for the great bumper music. Uh, this little number here is called Rallying the Defense. And uh, they have quite a bit of uh, free MP3s over there, which are really great. Until next time, thank you kind readers for listening. And uh, we will have another one ready for you soon. <laughs>